everyone, this is John Gunter, and you're listening to the Eagle Community Church of Christ podcast. This week we begin a new series. It's going to be a fun one. We're studying the book of Revelation. Yes, it's tinfoil hat time. No, I'm just kidding. We, we do start out in, in chapter one. Our plan throughout this series is to read most, if not all, of Revelation. And so we're going to deal with all of the symbolism there. And I know at the end of this, we won't have all the answers, but I think we'll be a lot more comfortable with the book. So I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you get a lot out of it. If we can do anything for you, we'd love to, uh, to hear from you. Just let us know. We'd love to see you in person at church. Come see us anytime. Again, thanks for listening. Last week or week before that, I always wanted to sing uh, Surround Us, Lord, while we were in Jerusalem. And my group kept wanting to sing this song. I cannot remember the name of it right now. That was super high. And we couldn't sing it, but we kept trying it. And uh, so it got a little cringy, but uh, but we sang. Uh, it's a very... Very beautiful churches and different places. Um, uh, my thought was that, that time is like, that we have such pretty voices, why don't we use them in the way God has gifted us, not in the way we want to be gifted, you know what I mean? So, uh, but it was, a, it was a fun time. So thank you for, uh, for hearing that and leading it. Uh, I probably won't tell you the song I don't like because you might lead that one too, I don't know. Uh, I heard some of your feelings. It's interesting, the, the differences we have in taste. Well, we begin today with an interesting, I think, an interesting series on an easily understood book of (laughs) Revelation. Uh, Just, uh, you know, if it could be written any simpler, I don't know what we would do. Um, So during the the year, uh, when I would send out questions to our small groups, uh, I encourage the small group leaders, hey, as you get to know your people, uh, tell them, "I, I want to know, you know, what is it that would benefit you uh, for me to preach on. And I didn't get many responses. A lot of people, you know, just, okay, they're along for the ride, that's fine. Uh, but the, the one response I got back was, we want to hear a sermon series on Revelation. And I'm up for a good challenge. Um, you know, most of us probably, I, I picked this, I pick this uh, background because I think that's a lot of the ways we look at Revelation. You know, the storms are brewing type of thing. Uh, and so I want to kind of uh, kind of open up the book of Revelation instead of, most of you are probably just used to um, hearing about the first three chapters of Revelation, that'd be true for you. And then, you know, was it Revelation 21.8, you know, where liars go? Uh, we even got us a little song for that one. Um, hope you're not leading with that as you go into the community. Uh, but, uh, but we know that song. And so it's kind of like uh, we get the first and then we get the last and we kind of don't know what to do with the middle. And uh, I, uh, surprisingly, uh, I know, uh, am not going to be able to give you all the answers. Uh, But we are going to go through Revelation. We're going to, here on Sunday mornings, we're going to start with a scripture reading each time. And my plan is to cover most, if not all, of Revelation uh, so that we we hear the scripture in here. Okay, again, there's a lot of symbolism, you know that. But uh, but we're going to work through it, and I think have a lot of fun with it. So our reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him uh, to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, 
because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right, so we start out with some uh, interesting description, right? Can you imagine, uh, we talked Wednesday night about kind of bringing life to the, the story of Scripture, not, not a flat reading. Can you imagine John on the island of Patmos as he describes it, and all of a sudden hearing a voice, a voice like rushing waters. John, I want you to, and you can just see it spinning around real quick. I was walking through my, uh, uh, my house when I went to Fayetteville, when I moved to college, so I, I had a family of five, it was mom, dad, brother, and sister. And so when I got to college, it was just me uh, in, in this house, and so it was super quiet. Anybody ever turn the TV on just for noise? Like, I needed to do that. I was walking through my living room one day, and I heard someone say, hey, John. And I, thought, I didn't think anything about it. And then it said, yeah, you. And I got, like, you know, hair on the back of my neck stood up a little bit. Like, whoa, 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 just a second. And so I can imagine what, what John experienced there. But uh, I understand that as we come to this book, we come with some questions and concerns. And a lot of revelation doesn't clear that up. That we come and we get all this figurative language and we go, what do we do with that? How do we describe it? I can only imagine John trying to uh, describe what he saw here. 
but I want to throw this in here real quick. For those of you who like resources, there's a couple I'm going to give you. Uh, this one, Revelation and the End of All Things, Craig Coaster. Uh, I want you to, uh, to know about that, Revelation and the End of All Things, second edition. And also, if you don't know about this series, this is a really good series, uh, this NIV application commentary. You can just do NIVAC and Craig Keener. Um, very uh, accessible, which means you don't have to know Greek to, to dive into this. And so as much time as we're going to spend in Revelation, I'm not going to be able to give you all the answers. And a lot of the answers are uh, how everybody disagrees on the answers. So, so that's part of it. But I want to give you these things. But when we come to Revelation, we get all these, these scenes. And what does it mean? Does it mean this for me? What, it, you know, what is this? And so we're going to have a bunch of questions. I want you to have that. One of the things I like to do in Revelation is to, uh, to pull up like artist rendering of what they think this was how this was described. I really like this. Uh, you see there the, the stars in the, in the hand. You see the, uh, the lampstand. You see uh, John laid out there. Uh, and the most interesting thing to me is how John describes this sharp, double-edged sword coming out of the mouth. Like, God, why did you want to reveal that to us? Uh, that's my question. You know, I, I see the symbolism in, in God's word, but, you know, as, as someone who you know, don't use the sword. He got on to Peter for cutting off Malchus's ear, you know, but then he has this sword. That's such an interesting thing for us to kind of, of ponder, but I don't want us to stop there. I want us to uh, really think that there is value in Revelation because the entire uh, time of history since Revelation has been written, people have struggled with what do we do with this? What in the world do I do with this, Okay. And so starting in the second century, in the 100s A.D., people have gone back and forth about what to do. Um, just to share a couple of things. One of the things we don't understand is well, who, who wrote it. For most of us, when we write something or you want to read an author, their name is on the front of the book, right? This is my friend Jerry Mitchell. He wrote a New York Times bestselling uh, Race Against Time. He's an investigative reporter over in Mississippi. I went to, Katie and I went to church with his parents in Texarkana. Uh, he was, he details it in this book, he investigated old civil rights um, cases that people killed folks and never got prosecuted. And he, he helped, I think, four people go to, to jail. Uh, and I wanted to use that as an example because you need to get this book because uh, it's really good. Uh, but, uh, uh, but yeah, if we read something, we know the author's name on it. But all we get in Revelation is this. Uh, sending his angel to his, it says servant in IV, but the, the word there is doulos, which is just slave. So it is to his slave, John. John doesn't say, hey, I was the apostle. I was uh, the elder John. I was John the whatever. Uh, no, he just says John. And so we don't even know that. Uh, but for this, I think, I think the best way to kind of uh, think about it is probably the apostle John. Uh, what people do is they look at the Greek, and I'm not going to make your eyes glaze over with that stuff. But they say, hey, the difference in Greek between the Gospel of John and Revelation are different. And then you look at it, and there are some things that are only similar in John and Revelation. And so for this purpose, we're going to think of this as the Apostle John, okay? All right. But as I mentioned, a lot of people just don't see a lot of value in this. Martin Luther, who was a 16th century reformer, he was a monk, and he, he was famous for writing all these theses and, and nailing it to the door for 
uh, to get the attention uh, of, of the religious elite there. And Martin Luther proclaimed Revelation to be neither apostolic nor prophetic. He said he could see in no way detect that the Holy Spirit produced it. Not only did Revelation's visionary language confuse readers, but he declared that Christ is neither taught nor known in it. Tell us how you really feel there, Martin, right? Let us know how you, how you really feel. He said, therefore, he advised people to stick to the biblical books that present Christ clearly. Now, we, not, we might not be that harsh, but how many of us have acted like that with Revelation? Yeah, that, that's, that's the, the kid out there you don't want to deal with. He, you know, uh, he already looks like he's up to trouble, right? Uh, and so that's what it says. But he, he goes on to say, uh, he says, Luther dismissed Revelation as a book that was of little value for Christian faith and life. And again, we might not be that harsh, but we have treated it as such. It says his rejection stemmed in part from his recognition of the book's power to draw people into dangerous speculations about the future. And that has happened since the beginning of probably the, first, or the second century. How many of you know somebody like that? Don't point, don't nudge. But the only time revelation comes up is when somebody's got some kind of theory, right? And so when we talk about revelation, this might be the picture that comes to mind. Anybody remember the Heaven's Gate cult? Marshall Applewhite, yeah. Um, not sure why every, all these cult leaders have to talk the way they do, the kind of soft, kind of freak you out uh, voice. Uh, but yeah, Marshall Applewhite, yeah, the, the, the world is ending, so you all have to kill yourself. That's, that's a great idea, I guess. Uh, why not wait for it to end, Marshall? I don't know. Uh, or maybe uh, Harold Camping. Anybody know this name? He was on a family radio program, uh, I believe out in California. It was a big deal, I think over 150 stations or something. Uh, but Harold, um, he, he predicted the world would end 12 times. And every time it came and went, he said, well, the math is wrong, so I've got to kind of update it. And, and he even got attacked by both Christians who said, why are you doing this? Why, why are you spending time, you know, uh, warning people about this? And atheists who said, you're ridiculous. Well, the thing was, is as he, you know, predicted this, he would get millions in donations to him. I, I got to love this. I, I don't know how that works, how a cult leader can say the world's going to end you don't need your money, so send it to me. It's, it's almost on par with, uh, you know, uh, the, your worthless money. You need to trade in for gold, and I'm going to take your worthless money and give you the gold, and I'm okay with that because I'm doing you a service. Uh, come on. Hold up. Uh, but, but that was one of those, those people uh, that did that. And also, right on Netflix right now, there's a fundamental Latter-day Saints group. This is Warren Jeffs. Um, they were like super, super conservative Mormons who still practice polygamy. Uh, you may know this story because he moved from Arizona. He was predicting the end of the world, and he kind of set up a base camp out in Texas, out in West Texas. And Texas said, no, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll catch you in all the lies you've got going on here. He had over 60 wives, uh, including some underage ones that really got him in trouble. Uh, and he is, he is in prison right now, but there's a Netflix special on that. And again, uh, speaking as the voice of God, he spoke as God and said, hey, the world's going to end at this time. And again, coming back to kind of cloud up a book uh, that already has enough symbolism and stuff that we've got to wait through, right? 
Uh, I find uh, Matthew 24 very helpful with this. Jesus says here, he says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only who? The Father. And Jethro out here, who's done the math. <laughs> As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. I, I just threw out Jethro. I hope there's no Jethros in here. Um, For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. That clear it up for you? Uh, one of my favorite theologians says this uh, from John Gunter. If reading Revelation makes you believe you know more than Jesus, you've read it wrong. That clear? Is that fair? That's clear to me how he says that. I, I really resonate with that. <laughs> if reading Revelation makes you believe you know more than Jesus, you have read it wrong. And that's, that's my stance on this. Uh, just this week, I had someone who uh, uh, had this theory about how the world was going to come to an end. July 4th or 5th, something, he said there's a particle accelerator about to start up in Sweden or Switzerland or whatever, and probably big stuff's going to go down and the world may end. It may open up a, there it is. <laughs> we, were day, we were a couple days early. But, but he said, you know, there's going to be maybe another dimension open up. I said, hold on, you've been watching too much Stranger Things is what happened. I said, I, I like those shows too, but you've been watching too much. He said, well, the media likes to keep these things close to us. So we, we hear about them there in our mind, and that's really what's happening. We just don't know it. And I should have said, well, man, vampires have been real popular lately. <laughs> what should, should I be stocking up on, on steaks or, or what? You know, that makes them, I don't know. Is that how you kill a vampire? I'm not sure. I need to go ask the media. But when we come to this, again, let's not lose our mind and think, uh, all right, well, I can predict the future with this. Uh, because Jesus says he doesn't know. And if you read Revelation, you come to it and said, oh, I've got it now, then I think you're putting yourself in a spot you ought not do that. All right? So uh, is Revelation talking about uh, the present as far as, uh, you know, John's age? Is it talking about things that had already happened to those people? Is it talking about things that happened in the future? That's a question we all have to ask. And the answer, I believe, is yes. That it is both past things, present things to John, and also future. And so, what you get in the beginning of Revelation is letters to the churches, letters to churches that exist right there. And as you know, some of them have some issues. And at the end of Revelation, you're talking about uh, at the at the coming of the Son of Man, when God has His kingdom on earth, right? And so, you have a future thing, but nowhere in Revelation. Is there a, a, a setup for us to decipher so that we get the, the final day right so we can live for that? Because the rest of Scripture does not agree with that, right? Those of you who have been in Wednesday night class, that's part of it. You come to an understanding, then you ask, does the rest of Scripture agree with that understanding? No, it does not. And so we, we move on from that. The interesting thing about Luther, as I mentioned him, he, he changed over the course of his life. And so he said, you know, there, there's no, uh, no chance. There's no, I don't see the Holy Spirit in this. I don't like it. He recognized that it was dangerous because people tried to predict the future with it. And then he started trying to like 
look at his current context and say, oh, well, here's the Antichrist here in my context, here in the, the 15, 1600s. And like I said, people have done that for the, the, the length of the existence of Revelation. But then he starts saying things like this. He says, as a warning, Revelation shows that the church will be barked by so many tribulations and the heresies that it will be unrecognizable. Whoo, that's a warning right there. So his understanding, as he, as he started getting into Revelation more and more, he said, you know what I think this is saying is that there's going to be a point where the church doesn't look like the church. It's going to be unrecognizable. And we ought to, again, we've been talking week after week about kind of holding up that mirror and saying, is this us? That's what he's saying in Revelation. is kind of showing us that there are going to be some times that it's just not the church anymore. But he does say this, kind of more of a hope, hopeful thing. He says, as a promise... Revelation assures readers that if the word of the gospel remains pure among us and we love and cherish it, we shall not doubt that Christ is with us even when things are at their worst. Amen. And if you don't get anything else out of Revelation or the sermon today, I want you to take that because that is the story. He says this, he says, through and beyond all plagues, beasts, which we'll talk about in Revelation, and evil angels, Christ is nonetheless with his saints and wins the final victory. Amen? Uh, Dr. Randy Harris from Abilene, he's retired now, but he said this, kind of summing up Revelation. He said, there's a battle going on. He said, God wins. Pick a side. Don't be stupid. That's the story of Revelation. You're reading about, okay, there are a lot of things, there's a lot of turmoil in life, and you get to the end, and who wins? God. And so the choice for us as a church, as people who say we believe in God, is to pick that side, right? Well, who wins this thing? Well, God does. Well, whose side do you want to be on? I'm not sure. That's why he added in the don't be stupid part. Now, you would think we could say God wins, pick a side. no. Those of you who work with the public, right? Uh, I think everybody ought to go work in public for a little while, you know, uh, service or something, because sometimes you say, I, now because of meeting that person, I know why there are all those warning and caution signs out there, right? <laughs> so God wins, pick a side, don't be stupid. I love the way he says that there, the story of Revelation. Uh, back earlier in, in 17 and 18, God, Jesus says to, uh, to John here, he says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's what Jesus is saying here in this first chapter. As he's setting this up, Jesus is telling John who he is. I was dead. You think that gives him some authority? I was the one who was killed. I was the first, but here I am, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Again, there's that God wins, pick a side. I want to pick the side of the guy who has all the keys, right? I want to follow him, and that's the question that we all have to ask ourselves right now in this moment, is am I deciding, have I decided with my life, with my actions, to follow God to follow the one with the keys to death and even Hades? Have I made Jesus 
that anchor point, that foundation of my life? Or am I just existing? Am I helping to create a culture of the church that helps the church really be unrecognizable as far as what God has called it to be? And so right now we're gonna offer a time of invitation that we would like to encourage you, pray with you, uh, if you would need that this morning. If, if Jesus has not become your foundation of your life, there's a time to make that right right now. I'd love to pray with you myself, but I wanna encourage you, you don't have to come forward and talk to me at all. I, I hold no special authority uh, or privilege or anything like that. You pick somebody who loves you and will hold you accountable that may be sitting right in the seat beside you. Now, it's not about how many people come forward. It's about how many people change their life and follow Jesus. And so if that means you're sitting in the seat and I never hear about it, but you've got someone to help encourage you and, and walk with you on that path, praise God.